The topic everyone seems to be talking about is vaccine passports. Memes of Stars of David and segregated drinking fountains and Checkpoint Charlie kinds of scenarios make a point, but is it the right point? Are those memes over or understating the case? My guest today will discuss some of those issues and has found out something about vaccines that the most cynical people expected. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 134. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Get your craft bug or your creative bug started with a seven-day free trial at creativebug.com. Learn sewing or knitting or crocheting or cake decorating or jewelry making or many other crafts. Click over and see all of the items you can make. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash cbfreetrial, or click the link on the show notes page. Michael Rechtenwald returns to the show. You'll remember Michael was here last to speak about the Great Reset, and before that we discussed cultural Marxism. In between all of that, Michael has also released a fiction book, Thought Criminal, which bears a strong resemblance to our current timeline and how something he's recently discovered seems lifted from the pages of his book. Hello, Michael. Thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Hey, Dan. It's good to be back. I invite you here to talk vaccine passports. On one level that we have to even discuss this as a bad idea seems too bad, but really this is steps away from the Nazis, papers please, kind of society, which really could just be dwarfed by what's possible. So there seems at least two big questions about the vaccine passport. What is likely to be included on those digital passports, or paper, probably digital, and what will society become? And my my dog is <laughs> complaining about something outside. Um you indicated also that there's something you just discovered uh, about, well, you tell me what you discovered about it and how that it applies to the, the passports. Okay. Um, as it turns out, um, this notion of a, a vaccine passport may be somewhat of a dis, uh, dissembling uh, on the part of the state because, as it turns out, if what, what I have uh, discovered is true, it is likely that Google and Oracle have uh, secret contracts uh, under the uh, Operation Warp Speed uh, initiative to uh, track and trace uh, vaccine recipients and their uh, and their their reactions to the vaccine, but also. That means if this is the case, if this tracking includes some sort of digital transmissions from the recipients, this means the state already knows who's received the vaccine and uh, who hasn't, for that matter. So this sort of could represent a a somewhat of a redundancy in in effect. And the vaccine passport, that is, could represent a a sort of a redundancy and maybe even uh, a lost leader to distract away from this possibility that this knowledge, this information is already known. And the, the only thing that the vaccine passport would do would, would be to uh, exteriorize it, if you will. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what's, what's going on here, but it is clear that according to uh, the former czar of the uh operation warp speed under trump google and oracle do have contracts with or under operation warp speed to conduct pharmacovigilance uh which is a form of basically tracking and tracing 
uh, vaccine recipients and uh, how they're how they're responding to the vaccine. Uh, but this is also obviously an indication that if this data is in fact being collected somehow, that in fact this uh, the knowledge of who has the vaccine and who hasn't had it is already there. Uh, the question then would be how they're collating all that and what they're doing with it. Uh, so the vaccine passport, of course, is a uh, is a form of uh, control uh, that would really cut off all kinds of possibilities for people that refuse the vaccine. And you know, this this is a kind of tyranny. But uh, I'm wondering whether the vaccine passport isn't a sort of a distraction from a larger issue about data collection regarding who has the vaccine and uh, who has had the vaccine and who, who hasn't being transmitted uh, passively by the recipients, whether they report this or not, whether they have a vaccine passport or not. Uh, and therefore, those who are not transmitting such data are going to be, uh, the, the data is already out there uh, regarding whether they've had the vaccine or not. So. It sounds like it sounds like what you're saying is that the jokes we all made about nanoparticles being in the vaccines might actually not be jokes. They may they may not be they may not be funny. Um, and uh, you know this is kind of I know that I've been sort of seeing this all along, and it's very hard to see things and say them because you know you get uh, discredited. But as it turns out, all these things may very well be happening. We know that Google, according to the, uh, I can't really pronounce his name, the czar, uh, former czar of the uh, Operation Warp Speed, that Google and, uh, and uh, Oracle do have contracts to do this uh, pharmacovigilance. Uh, and so, and, and that, that it's, it's an elaborate tracking and surveillance system, according to him. So um, that means that, you know, now they, uh, the, uh, they haven't been able to find these contracts, which means they're secret. And also they don't disclose, uh, they probably have immunity from uh, disclosure under uh, Freedom of Information Acts, because these kind of contracts typically shield the uh, uh, contractors from government scrutiny or citizen scrutiny, actually. I hesitate to ask to what end are they used, would they use this information? I'm not even sure I want to know the answer. Well, I mean, it's, of course, the, of course the, um, the, the information is, is reputedly being used to track the vaccine recipients' responses to the vaccine, whether they've had it and what their body's doing in response to it. So it's, it's, of course, the, uh, overt, um, the overt reason for it is simply health-related. Health but that data can certainly be misused. And uh, if it's there, that data will tell you a lot exactly about somebody, like where they are in space at any given time, uh, what, you know, even what they're doing. So there's a lot here to be concerned about that, that, that now data has been entered is being possibly entered into people's bodies now and data transmission may be taking place from inside the corporal space of people's bodies to big data, instant, uh, big data, uh, purveyors like Google and, uh, Oracle and Sentinel, which is the, probably the, uh, the company that has uh, the infrastructure that's handling all the data, Sentinel. Interesting that it's called Sentinel because they're a surveillance company. That's what they do. Uh, so this is now, uh, this could be turning a huge corner in terms of, you know, this privacy and data, the questions of data privacy and so on and so forth. This is, this takes the Snowden revelations to a whole new level if this is the case, that in fact, data is now not only being collected about you through your activities, but from within your body itself, that would be a whole new, uh, threshold that we've, we've come to. 
it's staggering to consider, and I'm, I don't have, I, I, it, I, I have so many thoughts. I don't even, it's just like the end of private property. If you don't, if you don't have your own, if you don't own yourself, what, I mean, it's yeah. just the, the whole thing seems to be just built on, on toothpicks, if that. I, I mean, I'm still, I'm still sort of uh, digesting and uh, trying to, uh, uh, you know, integrate this new uh, possibility into my overall thinking here and just what it means. Uh, but I think it means something very significant that now uh, <laughs> data is now data is now not just what you're you know being collected about your activities, your phone calls, your your uh, you know your internet usage, your 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 uh, searches on Google and and all that, which is already being stored, of course, but now uh, from the very interior of your uh, corporal being. So that's a pretty big development. Um, Warp speed of, was, of course, just U.S. Do you think this is confined to U.S. or is this data collection worldwide? I think it would depend on which vaccine the, uh, the recipient uh, got. If they got the, uh, the American versions, the Pfizer and the, uh, uh, I guess, AstraZeneca and also uh, Johnson & Johnson, I suppose, then they would also uh, be tracked and uh, traced this way. Um, and I'm not sure just what, I mean, I, I'm going to make this clear. I'm not sure just what this elaborate surveillance and tracking system is, is how it's operating. Uh, whether, I mean, I'm sure it's not Google just recording who's got the vaccine based on doctor's reports. I mean, that's not the kind of way they collect data. That's not the way data is generated that they collect. They, they collect it through uh passive uh, passive the, the 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 data transmitter is passively transmitting data to them i mean they wouldn't waste their time with what effectively would be a kind of census uh on who's gotten the vaccine or not this this has got to be automated so if that's the case this vaccine passport thing may be just a scrim covering up a much bigger issue about data and information and privacy and whereabouts and tracking and surveillance, etc. Right. Well, when we spoke last uh, about the Great Reset, you had mentioned um, that China was the model for the Great Reset uh, due right. to in part, maybe, well, in part for the social credit scores. Is China still the model? Well, I mean, you know, China offered to uh, roll out and have other nations uh, take up their uh, passport uh, uh, vaccine passport system uh, and roll it out internationally across the world. Uh, they're not being taken up on that, I don't think. But I mean, this is parallel to the Chinese system. There's no question about it. So they're ahead in they may they're ahead and sort of there may be what's going on here is not so much a model but it's competition uh, competition with uh, Chinese firms and the Chinese state and their innovations in surveillance and uh, tracking and tracing so what we may be witnessing here is just a competition uh, I think China is the model in terms of the economics and how that will operate um, but this part is the fourth industrial revolution aspect here. Uh, we're talking about that element now of the, of the Great Reset, this, this entire uh, techno-feudalistic uh, system in which, you know, uh, not only are you economically subordinated to these corporate monoliths, now you're being surveilled upon them to an extent unimaginable to year to four. Well, and so we mentioned before, and if people haven't read it, they can still go and read it. Klaus Schwab, the director founder of the World Economic Forum, has co-written the book COVID-19, The Great Reset. It is a terrifying right. read, in both mm -hmm. in plan, but also in the abuse of logic and economic misrepresentation. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, that alone is like, oh my gosh. Um, 
Yeah, his writing is terrible. Uh, I don't know if it's intentionally so. Uh, it's not clear where he is prescribing and where he's describing things. It's not clear where he's being normative and where he's being descriptive. It's just awful. Uh, and he slides back and forth between the two. But he, it is clear that he's a big statist and he believes in government intervention on every level and inclusive of, I would think, these kind of issues. Because they're concerned about people who resist, who resist this regime. He even talked about these people as the losers. Uh, losers are people that don't go along with, in, with the enforced industrial revolution technologies and uh, implications of those technologies. Those people are losers in his mind, and they may become violent. So this is the reason for tracking and tracing everybody because and perhaps using predictive algorithms to determine whether they'll act out in it, you know, uh, against this uh, system. Right. It's like that Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. Uh, comedian Dave Smith, probably last week, it's, uh, at this at this publication last week, uh, released a 30-minute video uh, about vaccine passports uh, as planned by the Biden administration. And Biden's just a useful idiot for the WEF. Uh, and in Dave's words, he's terrified about what's planned. Mm -hmm. Dave notes something that you've discussed, which is corporate socialism. Biden has said it is not for the government to make this app with corporations working with the government. <laughs> and, right. And to say that and not expect people to, well, hear it and then say, wait a minute, there's something, it's almost plain on the surface, there's something sinister going on, but no one seems to be paying yeah. attention. Well, there's these so-called so public-private uh, partnerships, which are really just uh, the, the, the convergence of state and corporate uh, functions. Um, so you have these corporations that are acting as, uh, you know, as I call them governmentalities. They are, uh, they are um, apparatuses of the state and uh, they're doing state work. This greatly expands the, the, the function of the state and, and its power and its, its, uh, its um, precision uh, in, in controlling and uh, monitoring and so forth the population. So we're talking about a vast augmentation of state power vis-a-vis -vis these uh, private uh, corporations who are in effect being deputized by the state to undertake the functions of uh, whatever, including these issues that we were talking about already. Uh, the vaccine passports, uh, of course, and uh, if, in fact, these contracts are true, truly there, then we're talking about a mass surveillance program based on uh, what people have gotten injected into their bodies voluntarily so far. Dave made a key point, and one in Schwab's book that he seems to try hard to dispel, is that a passport system will create a caste system. Social media has blown up with the uh, there's the the yellow star of David references. Uh, there's the memes about the uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated drinking fountains. It's just every everything everything old is coming new again. History is repeating itself. All of those never agains are here at our doorstep. Uh, mm. I think the answer is plain, but go ahead and answer it. Do you share Dave's thinking that this is going to create at least two societies? And then the follow-up to that is, what is the intended consequence? Um, I think it's going to create like an untouchable uh, cast. Uh, and this cast will be not only uh, untouchable, they'll be utterly vilified and uh, probably be figured as a, murderers in effect um this this is the kind of rhetoric i see floating around from the uh, ai bots that pretend to be humans on twitter uh that if you don't get the vaccine you are a killer you are a mass murderer i was told that i was nothing better than a mass murdering thug by a particular twitter antagonist so it's a caste system but it's worse than that it's a 
it's 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 creating a, a class of people that will be deemed uh, utterly um, uh, castigated and cast out, abject and hunted, and likely, uh, who knows to what extent they'll be tormented by these uh, individuals, uh, not just not just the state itself, but people that in effect act as state apparatuses because. They take it upon themselves to serve as uh, uh, sentinels of surveillance and punishment of the non-compliant. Uh, we're, we're seeing now a kind of governmentality being, you know, when Foucault first introduced that word, he meant how people enact the governmental imperatives upon themselves and they their behavior becomes governmentalized, if you will. This is really what's going on. Uh, this is what's going on. And th these people, this population, this vaccinated select, you know, group, they're not, they're probably going to be a majority, will be charged with the, 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 the harassment and, and even who knows what else of the non-vaccinated. So it'll be a, a really disgusting scenario here. We're going to, It'll be you'll be treated as worse than the Jews were treated in, in a sense before the Holocaust. That is, in the sense that you'll be vilified beyond belief. Uh, whether it comes to some sort of uh, genocide is questionable, of course, and I'm not going to go there. Uh, but it is not going to be pretty. It sounds like there's a suggestion, and I think it. If you're not saying it, I think it might bear some weight that. We, we've seen, and it's been going on for a long time, but the, the deification of the state, especially of the person in the White House, but, you know, Congress and politics and government as in general, seems like in, in with all of this coming to this head, we're going to have self-appointed vigilantes. Yes, vigilantes. Whose job... <laughs> self-written job description is to purge society of these evils. And those evils are the people who didn't get vaccinated. Yes. And boy, the, the possibility of that is a terrifying thing. Yes. Um, you know, I don't think that, I mean, I've heard Biden supposedly backpedal a little bit from this, but th these things are underway. There's agencies working on this. Uh, the, there's many companies working on this. The, these uh, vaccine passports are going to be a reality, um, but I'm wondering to what extent they're actually redundant in the in the context of uh, this uh, pharmaco vigilance surveillance that's uh, possibly being undertaken as we speak, such that people are transmitting data about themselves to the database. Uh, such that this no, it's already known who has the vaccine, who hasn't. Um, so this will just become the, the, the gold star, in effect, just the symbol of this, uh, uh, of this uh, you know, compliance or non-compliance. It's almost like getting the passport is the voluntary display of what they already know, and it's... Yeah. There's not between what people are willing to share on Twitter and Facebook and God knows what they hear over smartphones anyway, even though they say they don't. I don't I don't believe them. No. Uh, and all of us carry our smartphones with us. So what what is it that they don't know? So this is this looks like genuflecting to the state. Yeah, this is the state entering into your body now, in effect. This is the state occupying your actual body. Uh, this is the interiorization of the state. Um, and vis-a-vis uh, -vis these corporate players, these corporate favored corporate governmentalities operating on your body as state apparatuses and you become a state apparatus in effect because your body is involuntarily transmitting data about yourself to the databases, which are then, of course, accessible to and being procured on behalf of the state. Indeed. Uh, a fellow we know online, 
passed along to me a question he wanted me to ask you about corporate socialism. Okay. He asks, quote, I would like uh, MR's view on the constitutionality of corporations violating the rights of people when, if the government did it, it would not be allowed. What can be done when the corporations are doing what the government is prohibited from doing, end quote? Well, that's a great question, and that's it's been going on already, uh, but it's going to be going on, and it may be already underway to a greater extent and to a whole new level. Uh, these companies have contracts with the state that, de- that indemnify them from any scrutiny on the part of citizens uh, and likely are uh, shielded from every kind of legislation and every kind of uh, uh, possible uh, uh, liability. Uh, of course, you know, the vaccine makers are shielded from liability entirely, but so are, so are these other companies being shielded from liability and they're undertaking, they, they, we saw this with reference to censorship. Now we're seeing it with reference to everything. Um, so, uh, what can we do? Well, first of all, we got to know what's happening and, uh, that, that requires you know, a lot of synthesis and and analysis of what's going on. Um, Then uh, we have to resist with intelligence. Um, So that means, uh, of course, this means resistance to the regime of vaccinations. uh, And it it means resistance to the regime of, 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 uh, to the extent possible of all these, all these uh, surveillance and uh, censorship routines, or regimes, I should say. Um, I, I think it's gonna become uh, some sort of a matter of civil disobedience that's going to play out in, uh, in some way. Uh, civil disobedience is going to be uh, a theme that we're gonna have to really get into. And for that, I'm gonna have to look further into uh, histories of civil disobedience, but we're looking at uh, a situation in which civil disobedience is, is right around the corner, uh, and without which we won't have any rights left. Um, so civil disobedience is going to be the key, and I, I stress civil, but you know it could get uncivil in a sense or incivil uh, if, uh, in fact, the state becomes, uh, you know depending on the force with which they use, you know, the resistance is more or less civil or not. So it really isn't going to be up to us whether it has to be civil or uncivil or incivil, uh, whether we have to have some incivility about us as I was accused of well uh, a while ago now by my colleagues that I was incivil for saying what I said. Now we're getting to the point where incivility may be a requirement uh, for retaining one's rights. As easy as it is, at least to seem to want to pin all of this on the World Economic Forum, the battle, at least for Americans, is going to be with Congress and the White House. Right. Some states have expressed no interest in enforcing vaccine passports, which is how federalism was intended to function. Conversely, New York has jumped in with both feet, so... Yeah. The question, so you mentioned it a little bit, but, and and maybe if this Google Oracle thing is so, maybe it's just not even irrelevant, but let's go forward as if it is. The question for the listener is, how do we do this civil unrest? How do we resist our overlords? But it's a big question because it sounds like it's having to need to sort of invent things that don't exist yet. Yeah, I mean, I can't really say what form it's going to take um, based on, you know, I think it depends on how far this goes, uh, whether we're being dragged off to vaccine camps or what, uh, and uh, or just, you know, scorned and scoffed at or spit at in the street. Um, it's, it's going to, or being, you know, being barred from public places. Uh, depends on how how far this goes and to you know how to, as to what shape it'll take. Uh, but as to these states having 
uh, opted out uh, or demanded that they, you know, don't participate in vaccine passports. As I said, as you pointed out already, this could be um, this could be moot based on uh, what I'm learning about Google and Oracle and perhaps other uh, companies that have been uh, contracted to uh, gather data from the vaccine itself. So uh, they may already be. Uh, they have the knowledge. The question is what they'll do with it. Uh, the state, that is, what they'll do with this knowledge. And uh, it will be important for uh, some uh, regions and states to re refuse because the meaning of the data is only what is given to it, right? So data doesn't have any meaning on its own right. It's what uh, importance is accorded to the data. That's really what counts. So. In various places, there may be there may be retreats from these uh, from the significance of this data. It really doesn't mean anything in Florida, for example, perhaps, or it doesn't mean anything in Texas, or it doesn't mean anything in Wyoming, hopefully, or somewhere. Um, so, it's 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 true that uh, there are uh, the federalism could protect us from uh, this. So, you know, it can't protect us from the data collection, but it can protect us from having attaching uh, the attachment of significance to the data, and that'll be important. Right. The, the, the idea of government doing these kinds of things, we there's there's a group of people always somewhere talking about the government doing something, and I think post-World War II, post-Holocaust, uh, I think a lot of people think that just couldn't ever happen again. And so mm -hmm. comparisons to Nazi Germany or Mao's China or Stalin or Cambodia, they just come off as hyperbolic. And right. nothing could be that bad again. Come on, we'd see it coming. You've got to be crazy about that. Dave Smith calls this the most important battle of our time. And that's a paraphrase, but it's probably close. Certainly captures the spirit. Do you see a way to move beyond those comparisons, which garner a dismissive knee-jerk reaction, to convey the seriousness of this possibility without sounding like a crazy person? Yeah, I think through analogy rather than through trying to suggest a complete homology between these things. That's what I try to do with the book Google Archipelago was to suggest, look, I'm not saying that the Google Archipelago is corp, you know, involves corporal punishment and the kind of torture and uh, incarceration and forced labor camps that the, the Gulag Archipelago entailed, but it was, but it is analogous to it. And we have to draw analogies without trying to uh, insinuate identity. Uh, they're not the same. In a sense, they're worse. In a sense, they're not worse. And the, they're, they're worse in the sense because of the omniscience of the of the uh, uh, of the authorities, if for lack of a better term, they have more knowledge uh, than anybody in the Soviet Union ever had of, uh, about their citizens, despite all their note keeping and so forth. And this knowledge comes through the digital digitization of of information. And digi the digitization of information or digitalization is really uh, the key to this whole system. Um, so uh, to draw analogies without trying to insinuate some sort of a homology or identity is the key to show that we're not talking about the same thing, but we're talking about something in a sense more pernicious and then in a sense less uh, punitive. Um, so we, we have to keep those kind of things in mind. We have to, we can draw analogies, but, and I think the, the, the analogy to Nazi Germany is, 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 uh, is somewhat off base. I think it's more likely we should refer to the Soviet Union actually. And I think, uh, the reasons for that have to do with the fact that this corporate socialism is using rhetoric and ideology from socialism, not from Nazism or national socialism. 
Um, and I've been trying to make this point over and over, although there's this connection between corporations and the state, this merger of corporate and state interests, the collapse of pol the political into the economic into the political, uh, we're looking at something different than fascism per se, because we're not dealing with fascism. That's a nationalist movement from the start, at least it was in Italy and Germany. We're dealing with something different. It may be called international fascism, but it's better to to stay off of that term because it, it misses something important about what's going on. You are involved in the Citizens for Legitimate Government website. Well, I founded that website. I sold it subsequently, So, but I'm still acknowledged as the founder of it. And occasionally some of the things I write are published there. Uh, my assistant actually owns it, Lori Price. Okay. Uh, mainstream news advocates will complain about it because, well, it's not the mainstream media. Right. But the page publishes a lot of content that is probably deliberately overlooked. Uh, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the value of this site being not mainstream media. Well, I mean, the site actually... It collects, it's called one of these aggregators, right? But it does a little more than aggregate. It uh, also delivers commentary as well. But it's the, it's the, the exact nature of the aggregation that's important. And it actually draws from a lot of mainstream sources that are overlooked, um, stories that are overlooked by, main, by, by, like, say, things come out and they're buried in, in the New York Times, so they're buried in the Washington Post, so they're buried in something else. Uh, it draws them out to, to, to try to show the significance and the patterns underway. So I think that's what's going on there. And I think it's an important source for keeping tabs on some of the issues, particularly from a libertarian standpoint. It's always been, a, it's always had a libertarian bent. I even complained about that for a while. After I sold it, I was like, you're just, a, you know, I was still a Marxist. And I said, you're running a list like a libertarian site. This is nonsense, you know. Um, and I complained about its libertarian bent, but now I'm very much behind that libertarian bent, and I support the site. Well, it's it's a good site, and it's, I find a lot of things there that I'd, I'd rather not have to hunt on page 97E or whatever. Right. Um, and she tries to keep uh, to keep it to not mainstream, but at least reputable, at least, uh, shall we say, she tries to source material that is, uh, can be uh, backed by, uh, that is backed by sort of uh, evidence, you know, it's evidence-based. Uh, but, you know, I mean, she, Lori has been interesting in terms of uh, vaccines for quite a while. And she said she was never anti-vax, but she said something was going to be done using vaccines. And she said this 10, 15 years ago, that vaccines would become a crucial issue of, of our time. And I was like, you're out of your mind. And uh, sure enough, here we are. She's prescient. So I got to hand it to her. Uh, do you want to comment a little bit more? I've got a couple of quotes. They're long, so I'm not really interested in reading them from um, Klaus. But there's... I, 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 I think there's, there's important point to be made about how this this is not just coming up today. <laughs> this is not like, they're not just now working on these vaccine passports. This is how I mean you she said that 15 years ago. Somebody else had yeah. the idea to come up with this 15 years ago. There's the yeah whatever that thing was with Bill Gates and the 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 mock vaccine. So it, what is the mock virus? Uh, yeah, run, what is the, the run. what is the history here? What do we? I mean, how long has this thing been going on? And now we're here looking at it, saying what's going on. That I don't know. I don't. I don't know whether you know. First of all, I'm not going so far as to suggest that the whole virus was some sort of a planned regime that was unrolled that was rolled out. Um, uh, I don't think it necessarily was. I think there has been, I think, really nefarious things going on in terms of creating these viruses in labs 
as if you were trying to preclude by virtue of being able to vaccinate against them, as if this, the sole purpose was not, was, was strictly, you know, in terms of uh, precluding viral outbreaks that we couldn't control. Instead, they're, cre they're creating the viruses that we can't control. Um, so that, I think, is nefarious in the first place. And there's competition going on in those in those realms, and they're trying to squelch the knowledge about that fact that th these people have been operating like this, creating viruses in, in a sort of competitive environment with each other to see who could come up with a novel virus and then perhaps find a, develop a vaccine to uh, treat it or preclude its spreading or whatever. This has been going on for some time. Um, the fact that now one has, escape the lab however it escaped is uh it to me is almost like poetic justice because how can you keep playing with these lethal uh you, these lethal tools eventually they're going to escape and you know there's pretty solid knowledge that the u.s uh and fauci in terms of his uh, oversight of this was probably involved in funding the wuhan lab anyway so we're not talking just China here. We're talking U.S., China, and who knows who else that was involved in the production of this particular virus uh, and others probably as well. Uh, but, I mean, who knows whether this trial is a trial run in some sense now that it's come out. In other words, now that this virus has escaped, Look at the mechanisms that have been put in place and look how effective it has been for population and behavioral control. This could be used as a te test case scenario in order to uh, continue to roll out different viruses and variants of virus viruses and then enact further controls on the population. This I wouldn't put past uh, them or anyone, whoever they are. Yeah, well, then that's that seems to be one of the big questions, and though, though some of them seem to have self-identified during the 2020, and one of them just used to own a computer company, but that's that, right. that seems to be, even though there's probably lots of, um, not the evidence, I'm, the word I want is escaping me, corroborative support, there isn't conclusive support, and that doesn't really seem to be productive. So there was no point in having that conversation, although it's fun yeah. to think about. Uh, yeah, it's not productive in the sense that it puts you into speculative land. And uh, I try not to go there. But what I do try to do is analyze on basis, based on what we know. And that's different than conspiracy. That's analysis. And then also just seeing what's going on and what it is shaping up into, that's a different thing too. That's kind of extrapolation uh, from, from where we are to what, you know, where we're headed. That's what I try to do. And I, that's why I think it's different than conspiracy, conspiracy theory. It's, it's, a, a specul it's not speculative, it's analytical. Well, we've seen, uh, there've been a few podcast episodes that have out lately and the, the new book, The Fauci and Bargain, which I haven't read, but I heard the podcast about it. Um, it he just stole a title from me because I, I had a book title planned called The Faustian Bargain, My Faustian Bargain. And I had come up with that title in uh, 2019, actually. Right after I put out Google Archipelago, I was going to title my next book with Faustian, my Faustian bargain. Now that's been ruined by my Faustian bargain, which is very clever. It is very clever. Very clever. That's Steve Deese, not me. So, <laughs> yeah, very clever title, and he's he's preempted my use, at least for a few years, of the of my Faustian bargain or the Faustian, my Faustian bargain is what it was going to be. But anyway, well, there's. Because information eventually comes out, a lot of it is coming out showing a lot of manipulation. A lot of things were deliberately incorrect to a yeah. specific end. Such as? Well, like um, what? Nick Holland, who was on Tom's podcast, uh, his his talk was that he, he said that the entire narrative was false and gave information. Which one? 
which narrative the, the vaccine narr- the virus, the virus narrative? narrative and so it's i don't i i can't quote nick exactly and i don't want to do it injustice by by paraphrasing it correctly but there's from from Fauci giving accurate information to then changing completely. And he has a history of, of doing that. And in mm-hmm. the, 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 the World Health Organization saying something, retracting it, CDC is saying something, retracting it. It's enough to make one wonder what yeah. is causing who, I guess the question would be who, what's happening, who's doing it, to cause these entities or people who say a thing to then retract the thing completely and say something in complete opposite of it. That's, boy, we figured that out. We got a good answer. We got a. Yeah, and I think that uh, it, it's pretty clear that Fauci has been involved with uh, NIAIS, I think it is, or whatever the. the uh, yeah, the allergy thing. Institute. Yes, for uh, for infectious uh, diseases, NAAD, NAAD, something like that. Uh, he's been involved with them for a while, and he's been looking for the kind of holy grail of vaccines, viral vaccines, for some time. And so um, he's been very invested in uh, the production of viruses, and he's been very economically invested and, and professionally invested in the production of vaccines. And so it, it seems that uh, once this hit, he was opportunistically jumping on this whole project as a, as a, as a opportunity to put it in Schwab's terms, <laughs> he seized the opportunity to, you know, get us to this vaccination point. Uh, I think that, although he said it couldn't be done so quickly, apparently, to Trump, um, I think he's been uh, behind the, the, the efforts for some time, even long before Trump uh, took office. Uh, so he's been looking for like a universal elixir of uh, vaccines, if you will, apparently. I want to, actually, I changed my mind. I want to read a small a portion of a quote that I lifted out of the uh, Schwab's book, and it's really seems to support the idea that these contracts exist for whatever it is they mean to collect. And I don't have the page number, but he writes, quote, resilience will need to be better measured and monitored to gauge the true health of an economy, including the determinants of productivity, such as institutions, infrastructure, human capital, and innovation ecosystems, which are critical for the overall strength of a system. Furthermore, the capital reserves upon which a country can draw in times of crisis, including financial, physical, natural, and social capital, will need to be tracked systematically. That doesn't scare the hell out of you. I don't know what does. Yeah, I mean, he wants complete, uh, you know, supervisory oversight and centralization and knowledge uh, of uh, everything. And they want this centralized planning. He wants this centralized planning of everything. And that seems to be going on. I mean, this is the way, this is the direction that Biden's moving, of course, as we see with this infrastructure project. It's this, he sees all innovation coming from the state. Uh, from these planners uh, who, who then have all this knowledge and then can determine what can what should be made, what should not be made, what kind of information is necessary for knowing for doing this, that, and the other thing. So yeah, they they want like a kind of uh, Uber planning uh, mechanism and uh, technology for controlling just about everything. Uh, you know. To, for, uh, as to what will be produced, how it will be consumed, who will consume it, um, where the actors are that can do this, that, and the other thing, just about everything. They're looking at uh, creating a total world of planned economy. That's ambitious, but I'm, I'm just the, the, the hubris is... Yeah, the hubris is incredible, but he thinks that the technologies afforded by the, quote, fourth industrial revolution 
make this possible. So these technologies are like, uh, these technologies are like, uh, they're like rattles for a baby. I mean, they're just perfect for what these people want. They, they see these technologies as handing over this enormous power uh, to planners like this. Uh, to those who would like to engineer the future in the, to this degree. Well, I, I think the even a basic student of history would recognize that in every time any of this has ever been tried, and it doesn't always happen quickly, at some point, the oppressed say, we've had enough, and bad yeah. things happen. Yeah, first of all, it'll collapse economically, I think. Um, there's, a, there's a mistaken idea about economics underneath all this, and that is they don't understand wealth production and that it requires uh, the private holding of capital in order to produce wealth. They don't understand why that's the case, why private holding of capital is necessary, why individual why you can't do everything from the state that uh, that you cannot plan an economy from some centralized uh, location because you you cannot know what people want of course unless you determine their needs which seems to be really what they're after we will determine what your needs are and we will tell you what is needed and then we will deliver it and we'll deliver it in such a way based on you know these uh artificial intelligence uh, algorithms and applications and massive database uh, systems and uh, so forth. So I think they think they can actually produce and determine what's needed. Uh, they can produce needs and then try to meet them through this system, this elaborate system. And then, but it will create that they're, they're missing out a lot of uh, economic information they don't understand and they're also really uh trying to preclude uh things that people will want and demand that they can't foresee at all and uh, likewise they're trying to shape this new man if you will they're trying to produce this person they think we're all utterly plastic or pliable in their hands and that they can create a world that meets needs because they'll decide what the needs are and then they'll produce what's necessary and you will be happy, as I said, you will be yeah, happy. You will be happy. You won't own anything, and you'll be happy. Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey, everyone. Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. Ah, uh, all right. Since I've asked you previously all the questions about the food to lighten the show up, I don't have anything to lighten the show up. Oh, no, ask, ask more. I have changed my dietary habits. Oh, all right. So tell us about, tell me, <laughs> give me something that is, is happy news. Tell me about your dietary habits. Well, I was advised by another libertarian to start drinking whole heavy cream instead of uh uh, skim milk or whole milk even, uh, or even half and half. So I started drinking heavy cream in my coffee as part of a, an attempt to, to uh, move towards a, a keto diet, if you right. will, by virtue of consuming, you know, whole whole products. So I've moved towards uh, whole, whole milk uh, or even further than that, heavy cream. Uh, I've moved towards uh, trying to cut out carbs, it's hard, uh, but I've tried to move toward uh, to, uh, nose to tail eating, um, which is recommended by some some uh, some people in the. Uh, well, you, you tell me uh, these people that that recommend tail nose to tail animal eating. <laughs> when I mention this to some people, they get so disgusted and, 
and revulsed. They can't even. Speak. Well, it's because they don't think about the stuff that's in the middle. Right. So it's it's a so I I've actually run across the idea of drinking heavy cream instead of any milk product because milk product so from skim milk to whole milk it all has about the same twelve grams of sugar. Uh, slightly right. more fat in whole milk than skim milk. Half and half has one gram of sugar per serving. Heavy cream has zero grams of sugar. Well, it might have some, yes. but it's nearly right. all fat. And so the idea is that you're consuming less sugar of any sugar kind because what's right. happening is your body will turn sugar, whatever it is, into glucose. And mm -hmm. then that goes in your fat cells and I've actually done a few episodes about this. And so the thinking is sound and it makes sense. Part of what people generally miss about diets is there's, it's still food is fuel. If you consume more fuel than you expend, it doesn't matter yeah. what it is. It could be fat, right. protein, or a carb. If you eat more than you use, you will get fat. That's right. what happens. Like the body is efficient yeah. and it does it very well. So you have to, if you are sedentary, like a lot of us are, you don't yes. need to consume 2,000 calories a day, but also not all calories are the same. So, well, good for you. Not all, yes, that old, that, that old adage, a calorie is a calorie is a it's, calorie doesn't seem to be true. It's not true. true. So a calorie from sugar is not nearly as good as a calorie from uh, fatty beef. Yes, or pro or fat. Yeah, so, fat or, or protein. Well, protein because you need to rebuild the muscles and you need protein for your brain and for cell structure and building and muscle. It's just <laughs> protein is far superior than a carb calorie. Yes. But not all carb calories are equal either. Right. So, not all carb calories. So I've been trying to avoid carbs. I can't help it. I drink... Uh, 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 a latte with heavy cream, and then I put a little bit of uh, vanilla syrup in it. Now, I'm going to try to switch to, uh, well, I don't think it'll be any good if I do that, switch to non-sugar you know, to non -sugar vanilla. But then I guess you're, gonna you're getting into um, artificial sweeteners, which are just as bad, if not worse. So uh, I'm trying to cut back on the vanilla that I put in there. Uh, because without it, you know, it's, it's hard to drink. There's no flavor, you know, it's not, it just doesn't have the uh, flavor. Uh, just, but heavy cream, now I will say, it's a very flavorful uh, liquid. Oh, yes. Incredibly good. It's, it has a mouthfeel that most people will find very bizarre because if you're used right. to drinking milk, you're used to, at most, whole milk, which will coach your mouth a little bit because of the fat. And it's like, okay, I'm used to this. It's kind of like eating melted ice cream. You drink heavy right. milk. It's just, it's like wallpaper paste coating your mouth. It just doesn't go like, wow, it just doesn't go away. So it takes takes some getting used to. It's in yeah. the difference. I found it amazing how, how we deny ourselves these things or have been denied them by virtue of believing that it's better to drink skim milk than than you know something like this but as it turns out the more they do to it the more they skim off the worse it is so it seems to me that the heavy cream is better than any of it uh as far as milk goes uh so i've been doing that now the thing is trying to resist the ice cream i've mentioned this before i have an ice cream problem well uh, but I've been resisting it a lot more now that I moved to the heavy cream. And the, I, what what I've done, and it, it, it works. So part of part of ice cream is that immediate satiation. It's like wow, oh man. So right. I have limited myself to two, possibly three. Like you take the spoon and shave off a little piece off the top of the quart of the pint. So mm. two tastes. Savor both of them, get the emotional satisfaction of having had the ice cream, plus mm -hmm. I know I'm having ice cream, and then I put it away. Yeah, see, I, I can't do that. So I've gotten down to once every four days eating a pint. Ah, well, <laughs> portion control. 
So you have, but I do, I do, I think I noticed though that I expend a lot of calories with writing and thinking. I, I think the brain burns a lot of calories. You also play um, tennis, and you, you, I play tennis. You, you expend your energy in more ways than just pushing your chair around. Right. I play tennis. Uh, I don't eat that much, or I should say, I don't eat that often. Uh, I, I, I probably, basically, you could say I fast every day for at least 10 hours. So I'm not eating constantly. I don't have food in the house. I don't keep any food in the house at all. Uh, so that that's different. I order everything in now. That's, uh, and I only do that once a day. So I only have one meal in effect with the coffee in the morning. Right. That's it. Well, I've, I, I have been cutting back carbs substantially and I've, I've dropped I, pounds as it, it's the only immediate measurement we have, and it's it's reinforcing to see fewer of them on the scale. So it's okay to use. Yeah, that. you look like a different person. But I, I must have recognized you. Well, I've lost a lot. I'm under, depending on the day, I'm under two hundred, which is a big deal. Um, yeah. So me too. I try to stop eating by nine at night, and then I have breakfast at eight or nine in the next morning. So I. So I'm sleeping through my fast, and it's and those have made a big difference. And I have a pretty decent breakfast. I maybe snack a little bit on cheese and some meat at lunch, and then have dinner. And then, you know, sometimes a little like cashews, or maybe my two pieces, two scoops of ice cream. But after nine o'clock, nothing just have water. Mm, that's good. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm kind of doing a a, a daylight fast uh, between the coffee and dinner. And then, of course, the nighttime fast, which, uh, you know, I don't sleep eight hours, but it's at least a six-hour fast until I have my coffee. Right. Cool. Sometimes I'll have eggs uh, as well in the morning, but, uh, you know, that's that's fine, I think. Eggs are good. I eat a lot of eggs. Nearly every day I have eggs. Yeah, eggs. Eggs, I find to be good. Eggs, and I, I like put bacon in it. Oh yeah, bacon and eggs. Yeah, like the swine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like the swine, I am. No, I mean I like the swine. I'm not calling you. Oh, you like? I'm not swine. calling you a name. Okay. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's that, you know, this is a good talk about uh, how do we live because that, that's important to know. You know, we're not just. Uh, we're not just theorizing about things like this all the time. You have to have a daily um, life, and it's important to keep that in mind because if you don't, uh, you're going to go off the rails. Um, so I keep that in mind myself. Uh, you know, how do you regulate everything, and how do you how do you exist in the you know immediate social world? Because these are the demanding things that you can't avoid. Uh, so I think it's good to talk about things like this. Well, I agree. And it, it's things like overlords and involuntary nanoparticles and digital passports. Yes. It's it's overwhelming because you feel powerless to do anything about it. Right. And it's it's easy to say, why do anything? Because they're just going to muck it all up. And it's it's. It's tough to break out of that. It's it's that that's why I think rigorous exercise is great for you because you know with me with tennis, it focuses me on that ball. Okay, and I excuse my language there. I don't know if that takes you off YouTube. You'll have to um, delete that out. I can beep it. But it takes my. It's, I focus on nothing but that ball, and you know I play hard. My son is twenty eight and he's really good. And if I can get three games off of them in a set, you know, I'm very happy. Because uh, I'm 62 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, I lost a little speed. But I still have a better stroke than he does. Done, you know, ground strokes. He's got a serve that bounces over my head. It's nice. that, well, that good, good for him. Yeah, it's probably 120 miles an hour, and it bounces up 10 feet. Yikes. So. Well, that's not my game. I was, but... Yeah. You bike? No, my dad played. I. It was always much more fun to watch. I just, like, no, I can't. <laughs> uh, Hit it to me, damn it. No. 
Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Anyway, well, it's uh, good to talk, and uh, hopefully we have a good show here for you. Yes, I think so. Before we go, uh, share your website address. How can people get a hold of you and follow you? And do you want to? And you have a few new things, at least one. Uh, I don't know if you want to give out the Telegram information or not. Oh, the Telegram. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I have. How to, if I know how to give that out orally. Uh, well, I can put it on the show notes page if that's okay. I put it you. on the show notes page, okay. and also there's the Thought Criminal group, which people Thought Criminals, I should say, the group that people can join. Uh, right. It's our Thought Deviationist Network. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. Yes, and then um, uh, other than that, my Twitter, which is I need some help there, people. Follow me on Twitter. I'm getting ripped off on Twitter. I'm not getting the kind of play I should be getting. Uh, it's at the anti PC prof. Uh, so, and then of course, michaelrechtenwald.com, R E C T E N W A L D.com, michaelrechtenwald.com, one word. Very good. All right. I will put those on the show notes page. Uh, and we will, I hope people will, who aren't following you, will follow you on Twitter and you can blow it up. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks a lot. Have a good afternoon. All right. All right. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I misspoke Nick's last name as Holland. Such things happen in extemporaneous speech. Nick's last name is Hudson. I apologize for the misstatement. There seems an unwritten code that you don't direct people away from your own show to another one, but I'm going to break that rule here and urge you to listen to Nick on episode 1865 of the Tom Woods Show, and I have a link for that on the show notes page. Please share this episode on your social media feeds and like it when you see it. Also, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. If you appreciate what I'm doing with the show, I would appreciate your support. You can help with fiat currency at culinarylibertarian.com support. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher to find the show waiting for you. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.